2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX
1: and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Well, yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. Shaylin is taking and producing. She's taking the phone calls. She just needs your first name and where you're calling from, and uh, that's pretty much it. So she's producing and doing all the board because I can't touch no board. And Brian. (laughs) (laughs) It's big. It's got a lot of buttons, man. You aren't kidding. They light up. They flash. They they, scare uh, me. Yeah,
4: it's scary. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
3: So what's happening?
4: Oh, man, just trying to stay warm. You know, it's good to come in here because the newsroom is colder than it is outside, so it kind of, you know, it makes it nice (laughs) to go out. But, uh, no, just trying to stay. I still have my Christmas lights up and back because they're so pretty. And uh, you got to have some light, got to have some color. And,
3: uh, you know, just making it. Yeah, a lot of people are leaving them up, I think, because it's such a depressing time. Yeah. And it does help, you know, to look out the window. And we have our lights up, too. Do you? So just to take a look and see this color and... Big breath of fresh air.
4: Yeah, and I mean, it was the excuse to put up the decorations early. Right. And we have an excuse to keep them up late. And I think we (laughs) might as well keep it going.
3: And we don't know how long. That's the scary part.
4: Exactly. So we'll we'll keep them up for a little while longer, and then uh, it is nice to see the the sun staying. It's uh, staying light anyway, a little bit longer each day. A few minutes. A, a minute a day is yes. what Matt Ben said. So, but still, it's progress, <laughs> right. right? Step by step, from inch right, by inch.
3: From that shortest day, December twenty second. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's already seven minutes longer. <laughs> It's still, it's every little dark. bit counts. Yes, it <laughs> Early does. Early and late.
4: Well, have fun. Talk all about right. some uh, some warm, colorful stuff because that's what we want to hear now. Warm us up, Mike Miller.
3: Well, all you need to do is have a compost pile and then just go out and lay in it and bury oh. yourself, and then the steam and the heat of the compost will ah, warm that you. Sounds up. wonderful. <laughs> all right, thanks, Brian. You bet. Folks, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting any and all of your landscape, Uh, especially garden space and the taste of the tropics, those house plants, how are they doing? And uh, what should you use to germinate seed? Well, is it a potting mix, potting soil, or what? Or should you just dig up some dirt out of your yard and bring it in? Should you be pruning and shearing and things this time of year? Are there still bugs out there? Uh, who knows? Using information to help make your decisions. I'll share my thoughts, and hopefully it'll help solidify your options. Of course, with the final judgment of the action you're going to take is going to be up to you. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player, as I said before, is Shaylin. She's producing, so she will answer the phone. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. That was in the last century. Anyway, and I can come to your home and do landscape consultations if you like. I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, (sighs) 636-861-3344. Every morning, I never decide ahead of time where I want to go. So this morning, I woke up and I thought, hmm, as I was having coffee and cereal and toast and everything else, well, maybe I'll go here. And I pull up and established in 1847. And today, everything from tennis courts to athletic fields to playgrounds, to large expanses of lawn, large mature trees, everything from bald cypress to oaks to maples, several different lakes, the North Lake, sitting just a short distance off Hampton. This park runs parallel to River De Pere and provides a neat neat setting. A sign reminds you, though, no dogs without leashes. The sidewalks outline the parking areas and some of the lake edges. In the lakes, a lot of different ducks hang out in the lakes. So soon as you start walking towards the lake, those ducks can sense it, and they start coming right towards you, figuring you have some food for them. And you've got the uh, option of wandering up and down and all around, as you, whether you're checking out the ducks or anything else, or while, while walking and staring up through the branches of these large, mature trees. majority are naked right now, And because it's a cold wintertime, there's a few evergreens, not too many. And then there's those stubborn deciduous trees that refuse to drop the leaves. But that allows those brown leaves to make some great music in the slightest breeze. It was a great morning. And where was I? I was at Wilmore Park, which is basically where Hampton and Germania switch. Germania becomes Hampton and Gravois is right there, too. So it is just a neat place, just kind of in general. And the neat thing, too, you know, or it's so dark early in the morning. Most of my good-going strolls are in the dark. But all the lake water reflecting all the street lights and various lights, it is absolutely just spectacular. So if you do have any questions or concerns, give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll be back after these messages. Yes, folks, perfect time of year to really start planning and making some ideas become realistic. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, Angela is going to be our first caller of the day. Angela, how are you today?
1: I have a question about euonymus and poison ivy, which has
3: taken over my... Back chain link fence. How do I get rid of it? Uh, basically, the best, so you want to get rid of both of them? Yes. Uh, are you opposed to using Roundup? Not necessarily. Okay, because there is a a type of Roundup for killing woody plants. And so initially what I would do is as soon as they, as soon as, is this an evergreen you want them as I'm assuming? I'm thinking so, yes. Yeah, so Basically, it's, you know, even though the foliage is present, wait until the weather warms up and you're probably looking at, let's say, the Ides of March, mid March or so. Then get the roundup for kin and make sure it's the one for killing woody plants and spray it. And then, as soon as as the poison ivy foliage starts coming out, spray that. And what's going to happen is, I'm just, we're just doing that to be able to knock everything off so we can see, you know, what there is there and what's going on. And ultimately what you're going to need to do is cut, you know, the stems coming up out of the ground and then of either plant and then paint Roundup right onto the stem after you make a cut. And you want to make the cut at about a 45-degree angle, and you want to cut it about, uh, oh, six or eight inches off the ground so there, so it can absorb that. And then it's probably going to take – I don't know how well established these are, but it's probably going to take a couple years of the same sort of practice to finally get rid of this stuff. Okay, thank you so much. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's head to St. Anne and see what's going on with Bob. Hi, Bob, how are you today?
5: Hi. I'd like a question about a rhododendron. I've got one in the east corner of my front yard. It never loses its leaves. It has purple flower buds on it, multiple buds. I had three or four in December that wanted to bust out in the flower. Can you tell me... Does it ever leave it, lose its leaves, and what kind of soil does it like?
3: Basically, all rhododendrons and almost all the majority of any kind of broadleaf or any type of evergreen, whether they're needled or broadleaf, want an acidic soil. And they all basically, except a very few, have to be a well-drained soil. So acidic, well-drained soil, and rhododendrons, depending upon the variety, there are some varieties that do defoliate in the wintertime, just like other shrubs, but for the most part, the rhododendrons in general are ones that hold on to the foliage year-round. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, rhododendrons, um, if you've got one that's been successful for multiple years, congratulations, because they're not an easy thing to grow here. And the reason is it's not necessarily because of our you know, severely cold, but it's a combination of severely cold, severely hot, and everything else. Yes, we're about as far north as you can grow rhododendrons at all for the most part. Even the deciduous ones have a tough time. And the same thing applies to a lot of the azaleas, which are cousins. So, but anyway, if you're gonna, azaleas and rhododendrons are nothing short of spectacular in the springtime. There's no getting around it if you have success with them. But plan on putting them in a location, putting them underneath existing large trees can be a very, very difficult circumstance. And I learned that myself when I worked at the Botanical Garden. I started there in 1977, and the English Woodland Garden was planted underneath a grove of trees, which way back when was something just, you know, nothing. And so that was fantastic. It was, you know, going for a shade garden and everything else, but planting Things like rhododendrons and azaleas underneath large established trees like sycamores and oaks and maples and everything else that happened to be in there uh, it caused a very difficult time for the azaleas and rhododendrons both. And when I started there, there was like 13 or 11 different varieties of azaleas and rhododendrons. And just over the time, just the competition with the tree roots, they couldn't handle it. And so even though we raised the beds up and everything else, it was that should have been done initially, and it wasn't. They were planted right at grade, and all the feeder roots of the trees are near the surface. So consequently, these guys, brand-new plant materials coming in, a little bit iffy as far as hardiness goes, and then competing with the existing trees made it really, really, really tough. So just understand that. Also with azaleas and rhododendrons, because they do like an acidic soil— planting them close to your house foundation or concrete sidewalks or driveways that are concrete, that's alkalinity. And that goes contrary to the chemistry that the soil likes. Now, you can compensate for that. But just realize by planting them in certain circumstances, either under trees or too close to an alkaline source, then it's going to make it just more difficult for them to grow. So just keep that in mind. Other things, this time of year, we need to keep an eye out for bugs, it's not spring yet by any means, but just remember that the south-facing yard, or if your yard's you know in the south, it's going to warm up first. So you're going to have to start watching for bugs in that part of the yard first. Things like thrips, aphids, mites, pine sawflies, tent caterpillars, scale, uh, bed bugs, or ba- <laughs> bed bugs. Yeah, if you're outside with your mattress, bed bugs. Uh, bagworms and other things are going to be there, and they've basically overwintered as either eggs, larvae, pupa, or adults. So the adults can survive the weather. And we know when we get those warm days where all of a sudden we step outside and we start seeing, wow, what are those? Why, how can these bugs be, have survived these cold w- uh, waves? And they, they don't care. And basically the first wave of insect-damaging circumstances is going to happen when the silver maple is in bloom. So just watch out for the silver maple or check Missouri Botanical Garden for the silver maple when it's going to be in bloom. And the second wave occurs when the red buds are going to be blooming. So there's two different waves of insect activity. So just keep that in mind. And with the weeds too, this is a good time of year to keep an eye out in your garden space or in your lawn or anything else for a weed situation because if it's easy to get out there on the days when it is warmer and even when it's not warm. I mean, weeding is not really all that difficult, and it does generate some body heat so you can be outside and working pretty well. So just kind of keep that in mind also. There's other things besides bugs and weeds. Anthracnose, it's a fungus group that affects new seasonal growth of both limbs and stems and occurs at the start of the growing season and it's especially wet one and we know most of the time our springs are very wet so this means in the early spring when seasonal plant material starts producing growth guess what then there could be problems with anthracnose anthracnose is fungus The spores can be spread by wind, by rainfall, irrigated water as well. So even though there are are several different kinds of anthracnose, some of them are going to be much more damaging than others. Some of the physical damage on maples will not affect oaks or sycamores or other types of plant material. So there are some that are very specific, and there are some that just can impact plant material of all different types. Other plants susceptible to anthracnose include roses, grapes, tomatoes, dogwoods, peppers, and the list goes on and on and on. And visually, anthracnose diseases generally impact the leaf veins, and they cause the leaf of the, vein, the leaf vein to die. Then the surrounding, tissue, the surrounding tissue will start turning brown in appearance, and that's what it's you know happens. It rarely kills most trees if the tree is healthy in the first spot. And the trees do have the ability, if they have an anthracnose problem, that they push out a second, in other words, secondary buds, and they'll push out that growth you know, afterwards if they have been impacted. So just you have to be patient. If the trees appear to be dead, it's not really probably, if the tree was healthy in the beginning, just it will probably recover and develop some new leaves and shoots. Good garden practice is raking up and disposing of all fallen leaves and twigs out of the landscape, off your lawn and everything else. Keep your plants healthy and free of drought, nutritional injury. So, in other words, keep them fertilized. Water the trees twice a month during the winter if you have the ability, especially if we have a dry winter. Prune out any kind of dead branches because... Basically, any kind of branches are going to be problematic from that standpoint, from a disease you know standpoint. So, prune the branches to improve air circulation too, because that's going to be very important as well. So, there are all kinds of different strategies with this anthracnose circumstance. And again, there are two different kinds of anthracnose. One can impact all kinds of different plant plant material, and other will just basically go after one specific variety. So it's a very difficult world out there in your landscape, as you probably well know. Let's head over to Tommy's yard. Tommy, how are you today?
6: I'm fine. How are you, Mike? Very good. Good. Uh, I was wondering uh, when would be the ideal time to uh, start uh, pruning uh, my apple trees that are uh, established and been there for, oh, about 10 years or so?
3: Uh, I Probably what I would do is because... You're waiting for, you know, the apples. I'm assuming these are production apples, not, you know, just crab apples. So they're No, you're right. And so consequently, I would just let them go ahead and bloom. And, you know, that way you get the spectacular flowering off all of them. And then I would do the pruning right after they finish flowering.
6: Okay, very good. Hopefully the deer will leave them alone this year.
3: <laughs> well, have you ever tried to hang... Uh, Bars of Irish Spring Soap.
7: (laughs) No, I haven't.
3: Well, the smell is really a repellent, you know, so you might try that if they've been really problematic. So on the ends Um, of branches, depending upon how big they are, maybe just make sure you've got, uh, you know, the the tree is fully encircled with, you know, dangling bars of uh, Irish Spring Soap. So I don't know how big the trees are, but five or six bars, and like I said, they hate that smell. So that will you know, they you I mean you gotta do it on all your other trees because they may move on to another tree that doesn't have it. So I don't know how many trees you have, but that's a good repellent.
6: Boy, my neighbors will wonder about me even more than
3: my though.
6: Thanks so much.
3: Sure, it gives them something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thank right, you. Thank you. Yep. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Let's head over to Don Jar. Don, how are you? Hello, Don.
6: My uh, knockout roses.
3: We missed you. I missed the first part of your question.
6: I'm sorry. When should I cut back my knockout roses?
3: Uh, Basically, you know, you could have, you should have probably done it a little bit earlier. But any time before the new growth begins in the springtime. So you've got uh, plenty of time to do it. I don't know how big they are, but I never like to cut more than 20%. But there's plenty of callers throughout the years that have said they've cut theirs every year down to 15 or 18 or 24 inches, down from 3 to 4 to 5 feet. And so consequently, I, just, I don't think that's a good practice to do, but it's kind of strictly up to you.
6: I've got. They're about three feet tall. Okay. Um, so they're not huge. So you're saying take a, a foot off of them, or right. Not that a f- much.
3: Yeah, a foot should Go be fun. adequate. And okay. And and then, do it when? Uh, basically, any time before the new growth begins in the spring. So I like to, you know, probably with the roses, just in general, sometime after Valentine's Day and before mid-March. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And, folks, if you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Cool music, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. I'm going to get a little bit more involved in the soil testing because I think not only, first of all, Placing the plant in your landscape in an an environment that's going to be good for them is very important. But then having your soil tested, then that is second most. And then improving the soil after your soil test is over with, that is something you need to think about. But get your soil tested and why should you have your soil tested? Soil conditions have a huge impact on your plant health. There's no getting around it. Where there's pH or nutrient level... They can change over time. So even though things have been really going well or you know adequate or you've been happy with it or whatever, the environment's gonna change in your yard. And over-fertilizing can be problematic as well as under-fertilizing. So just realize I don't know what's going on. I keep fertilizing, fertilizing, and especially if you're using fertilizers that are like triple 12, which were developed for agricultural circumstances. So they're very quick release and they dissipate very fast, except that's the nitrogen which happens on most fertilizers. But the phosphorus and potassium can stay around for a long time. And finally, it can build up to the certain point where it's extreme and can cause plant material some damage. So just understand that fertilizing is just like overeating. If you over fertilize and you overeat, then it could be problems for you as a person. You know, obviously not in your landscape, but uh, just in general, keep that in mind. And what does the soil test tell you? Well, they're going to tell you the status of the nutrients, and the nutrients are like I said, phosphorus, potassium, they're going to calcium, magnesium, pH, the percentage of organic matter, and organic matter is really important for plant material just in general. Okay, so let's, you want to do a, a soil test. Where do you take it? Well, in St. Louis County, you can take it to uh, 132 East Monroe in Kirkwood, and that's down by the train station in Kirkwood. In the city, you can drop off two different locations, Brightside St. Louis, which, on, which is on Shenandoah, and that's where Vandeventer becomes Shenandoah, so right at Kings Highway, basically. And then Gateway Greening, which is on Washington Avenue. So Brightside St. Louis, Gateway Greening, and the University of Missouri Extension Service in St. Louis County, that's where you can drop off your samples. How much does it cost? Well, it's going to cost you $25. But the amount of money that you have wasted probably is going to be nothing compared to that. One bag of fertilizer is almost $25. And if you're doing it wrong – are you know, putting nutrients down that it's not needed, that are already excessive levels, then you shouldn't be doing that whatsoever. So if you do have any questions, here's a number that you can call. 314-400-2125. And that's, again, related to soil testing. So it's really, really important to do that. And other things that you need to be just doing in your own landscape. It doesn't hurt to head out there and make sure that, You never know when the wind's going to blow or if it's blowing hard where all of a sudden you get a pile of leaves in one section of your lawn. Get rid of that. And even not necessarily just a lawn, that's very important, but also in some of the garden space because leaves piling up, blowing in can be problematic, creating problems for the other, other plant material that's underneath the ground. So these leaves, you think, well, that's the same thing as mulch. No, it's not. Mulch, you know, even if it's leaf mold or leaf mulch, they've been chopped up and they've been, let's say, more or less processed and cooked. Piled up leaves just create humidity and create damage. If you're wandering, you know, walking, I shouldn't say wandering. If you're walking around in your yard and you start, you're looking over and you you see some green. And that's where I planted my tulips or that's where I planted my daffodils or crocus or whatever it happens to be. Yes, there could be an uh, early emergence of the tips of the foliage that doesn't impact the flowering, which will be coming later on at all. So just don't get into a panic. You don't necessarily need to you know, go out and bury those tips at all either. They're going to get burnt, yes, by the cold. There's no getting around it. But if you want to put a layer of mulch over it because, you, it, let's say, it causes you anxiety or causes you problems, uh, just one inch. Don't do a whole lot. Don't bury them really deeply because that's not to the advantage. And things like grape hyacinths, now they've been, their foliage has been up all winter long. I've got a big uh, window box, more or less. It's not a, let's say a planter that I have grape hyacinths in. And I'm surprised at how much they actually elongate the foliage on the grape hyacinths. So what happens is they keep their foliage all winter long, Then when it's time for them to flower, what they're going to do is they're going to start sending up the flower shoot, but then the foliage is going to die off. So, But right now, I'd have to say with my grape hyacinths, some of the foliage is any place between 4 and 6 inches long. And it's not rigid enough to stand up on its own. But uh, I've had them in this container, this pot, for multiple years, and they're very reliable and come back. So that's, you know, the spring flowering bulbs is really... Some of them are very surprising on what they can do. Don't expect things like daffodils to last more than five or six years because just the, the way they've been hybridized. And tulips, uh, the way they have been hybridized over the last, let's say, decade or so, maybe a couple years out of your tulips as far as the flowering goes. So if you really enjoy certain spring flowering bulbs, you're going to have to replenish them on a more or less a regular basis. And how about your houseplants? A couple of different house plants that I have. My rosemary tree. I have them on a east facing window. It's very cool. The rosemary tree. This has probably been the year when they've done the the best I can remember. So it's just kind of neat to see. I put decorations on them earlier. Uh, I've taken those off now. And how I water my rosemary. Rosemary basically needs to be underwatered. So I water, and then I. F- feel how heavy the pot is. And then I just wait until the pot feels very, very light. And sometimes if you watch, because there is going to be some new growth during the wintertime, there's going to be some, the new growth is going to start weeping just a little bit. That's when you water again. And make sure with all your house you use. you're better off to use water that is not just the cold tap water. Warm it up a little bit. The plant material will appreciate it. Another thing, which is, been a surprise to me. Tracy, like last fall, found this or saw this mum that she really liked. It was one of the classic, not the classic type mum, but it's one that has flowers more or less like daisies. And they, the petals were, let's say, I think they were yellow with red tips on them. And so they finished flowering probably, oh, let's say sometime around Thanksgiving. So I cut all the flowers off and I just kind of kept the, kept the foliage and I kept the pot inside, too. And I have it basically sitting in the same window that I have my rosemary trees. And so I'm just surprised at how well they've actually, the foliage has done through the wintertime. So I'm going to be real interested because a lot of times people will call and say, well, should I plant this? Should it, what should I do with it? You know, when we're talking about moms, And most of the time I say, if you don't see any small shoots coming out of this off the base of the stem, then probably planting them in the outdoors is not going to do any good. They're not going to be able to survive. So mine didn't have those. But right now, by being inside, again, again, against a cool window, I'm starting to see some new growth coming off the base of the stem. So consequently, as soon as the weather warms up, uh, probably mid-March or so, I'm going to take it outside, I'm going to plant it, and then I'm going to kind of see what, what's going to go on with that. So other things that you need to be, you know, just kind of walking around and taking a look at. Uh, A gentleman sent me a picture of a maple tree in his yard. And basically the maple tree, you know, had a split in it. He bought the house recently and the trunk was split probably six feet or so. Now there was a cambium layer, which that's the healing layer of the bark And so it was on the east side. Usually the the splits can be on the east because a lot of times they're caused by, let's say, sun skull. But usually it's going to be on the south or the southeast side. And uh, this, he said it was on the east side. And he sent me a picture of it. And the cambium layer is good because it is, you know, healing over. But right at the base where the roots split, so in other words, where the crown of the plant is, where the trunk and the roots meet, there's really some dark, it looks like heartwood rot. And so he wanted to know what should happen with this tree, should the tree be taken down. And uh, it's probably, it may be able to survive that, but the heartwood rot, that's always going to be on the interior of it. And heartwood, the inside of the tree, is what actually works to structurally keep this tree strong. And so if there's problems with that, If we get major storms and things along that line, then this tree could go over. So my advice to him, a 30-year-old tree that kind of has this heartwood rot. first of all, I'd probably take my finger and push it into the area that's really blackened at the base there and see how soft and how far in that goes. Or take a screwdriver if you don't want to put your finger in there. And just kind of take a look and see how deep it goes into it because – If the structural part of the tree is bad and it's close to your house or close to power lines or anything else, that's where the the trouble is going to come in. Another thing, too, uh, last week a caller, a gentleman called in and said, you know, he had these mushrooms growing in his yard and they were purple. And when he kicked them, they were like almost like plastic. And so then there was a dust that went all over the place. Somebody emailed me and reminded or told me that what this was was puffballs, and at the, as they mature, they turn purple. Now the, this was a giant puffball because he decide, or he described you know actually the size of it. Now growing up in Ellisville as a kid in the mid 50s and early 60s, there was puffballs all over the place, and so we used to kick them all the time, so we were spreading the spores all over. But I don't remember the puffballs. Maybe it's because we kicked them that I never got to see them mature, so I never saw them go purple. So I was, you know, I was totally confused by the purple plastic at, you know, kind of atmosphere that the, these purple mushrooms were creating for the gentleman. But somebody emailed me and said that's what it was. They're giant puffballs, and they turn purple at maturity, and if disturbed, then that releases those spores, and that helps repopulate the, you know, the circumstance or this, 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 the setting where they are actually growing. And again, all mushrooms, depend, no matter what type they are, they grow on dead plant material, whether it's thatch and lawn, whether it's dead root systems, or anything else. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, questions, concerns about your landscape? 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. I don't know what's happened over the last several weeks, but early in the morning, the amount of crows that gather right around the building where we are, which is next to the Soldiers Memorial, is absolutely incredible. I don't know where they're coming from or where they're headed to, but pretty much they're all gone as I look out the window but it is amazing. There's hundreds and hundreds of crows hanging out and they always seem to be in big gangs in my neighborhood. There's a cemetery just about a half a block away from us and the crows seem to gather there too. So I don't know if it's the same crows and then fly down this direction or where they're going, but they are amazing birds and man, they are a gang. There's no getting around it. Let's head to Jones and she lives in South city. Hi, Joan.
0: Hi. Hi. Um, I was wondering in the spring, and I want to overseed my lawn, what's the process of doing that?
3: Um, Ideally, what you would do, spring is not the ideal time to do it, first of all. But, I mean, you can certainly do it because the ground is cold, and fall is the best time to do it. So late August through September and early October. But anyway, in the springtime, you want to make sure that before you put the seed down, that you have had the lawn either power raked or raked just in general, even with just a leaf rake so you can get you know all the thatch taken out because if you don't do that, then you're going to put the seed down and it's going to be laying on top of the thatch. It's not going to be in contact with the soil, and then that's going to be trouble. But if you wanted to do it totally good, what you do is you rake it, then you have somebody come in and do core aeration, which that's a machine that takes plugs out of the ground that looks like wine bottle corks. Then you put the seed down. Then you cover it with like about a half to a quarter inch of compost. That's the best thing you can possibly do. So, okay. but the minimum that you can do is just rake it and then put the seed down and then you know put some compost on top of the seed and just acts as a little bit of an insulating layer to it. And then just okay. depending on what kind of seed. You're going to be, you may need the water and other things as well.
0: Okay. Because this is all new sod from um, late summer, early fall. So um, I wanted to make sure that I'm doing it right.
3: Well, if this is sod, then you don't really need to overseed. Oh, okay. You know, I would say just realize the edge of the sod pieces may have been damaged as a result of just our weather in general. But I would say, wait, leave it alone, and then do some overseeding in the fall if you think you need to get it thicker. Okay. So. Um,
0: I also have a question. I have a tulip poplar that I planted about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the first, well, it's still there, but uh, when it was really young, the leaves got a uh, a white powder on them. and. Over the years, I thought, oh, well, whatever it was, it went away. But there just happened to be they're all at the top now because when the leaves fall, now I see them. It's on the leaves that are from the top. What? What is that?
3: It could be a fungus. It's you know a little bit difficult to tell. Is Are the leaves sticky? That I haven't noticed. Oh, because I was going to say if the leaves are sticky, it could be a cottony aphid. And what they do is when they feed on the foliage of plants, and they love tulip poplars, uh, they consequently, when they pull their, let's say, nose out that they've been feeding with, that leaves a little drop and makes things sticky. But I'd probably have somebody come out of tree service and have them take a look at it because it's a little difficult to tell. It may be an insect, but, you know, it may be just a fungus circumstance. But you're saying it's happened every year for 20 years?
0: Well, like I said, it, it's not on the bottom half of the tree. Right. It's only at the top that I I just figured, well, I, it was planted on top of an old, a tree was taken out. And, of course, this is before I knew you shouldn't plant another tree there. Right. And, you know, and then, of course, there were mushrooms. So I figured it was probably some sort of fungus. But um, it's not on any of the lower branches, of those leaves. It's just way at the top where they originally were.
3: Yeah. So I, so I was, you know, to me, it's still got to be some kind of fungus, but it's not related to the mushrooms. But 20 years after, you know, even if you planted this tree on top of where a tree was prior to that, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to cause any trouble. The The tree, original tree is already imploded. It takes any place, even if the stump been, hasn't been ground out or it has been ground out about uh, three to five to seven years. After that, it has no more impact on anything that's growing on top of it and if the the tulip poplar was able to survive and it's 20 years old then you've done a good job
0: oh, all righty <laughs> all right well thank you so much Certainly. for the information
3: yep bye-bye thanks Joan and look sorry we probably won't be able to get another call in but just in general if you do like the one of the earlier callers talked about uh, you know deer going after his apple trees There are plant materials that the deer don't generally like. And what it is, is it's the males with the antlers. They're just marking their territory. So there's all kinds, there's woodies. And that doesn't necessarily mean they won't do it. They're just going to have less of a tendency to cause some damage. So things like uh, ginkgo trees, uh, hawthorns, American holly, so junipers as well, paper bark birches, those are some of the trees that, you know, the Deer will basically kind of stay away from. They don't like to do, you know, fool around with spruces either. And as far as like, you know, wildlife or anything chewing on things, just realize that a lot of them, you know, have either thorns or they have a taste that the deer don't like. So just, you know, kind of keep that in mind. Annual wise, some of the annuals that the deer don't graze on or munch on, marigolds, lantana, Globe amaranth, snapdragons, and cleome, bulbs that they don't like, dicros, alliums, crocus, glory of snow, snowdrops, cilia, hyacinths, grape hyacinths, fritillaria, and daffodils. Some perennials that they don't necessarily like: sedums, vinca minor, hardy plumbago, creeping flocks, butterfly and milkweed, columbine, coreopsis. So, I mean, realize that if you live in an area where deer can be problematic, selecting plant material that's not going to be trouble for them is going to be really, really important as far as like kind of changing their habit. Because once they get into a habit of of doing damage or grazing on plant material, they're just going to keep coming back and back and back, you know, the very same place, the same route and everything else. So, stop, you know stop them and the best the best thing you can do is kind of change your landscape if you need to a lot of the herbs the deer don't like either so just keep that in mind too even lily of the valley helleborus and helleborus is something that's an evergreen perennial that blooms in february so mike miller kmos garden hotline we will be back after the news
1: KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline. That is a KMOX Garden Hotline. It's the tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. And Mr. Kelly... Yes, sir. Are you ready to spray me with Lysol? I see you got some right there.
4: (laughs) Everywhere we go.
3: (laughs) I know you always have it in your pocket.
4: We are we're gonna be a clean people from now on, that's for sure.
3: Man, it is absolutely amazing.
4: It is. So yeah, I clean everything. And you know when you work here and you come in, you gotta get the (laughs) microphones. Clean those off before you use them because we all talk right into them and all the buttons we got you know computers we got buttons to push to turn the mic on and it's like it's it's an effort to try to stay safe that's for sure yeah
3: one but. other question uh do i do i look scary do i scare you
4: well i'm used to you
3: yeah but Um, Just in general, a lot of times I walk,
4: you know, I
3: walk in the morning and, uh, you know, in the Mm -hmm. afternoon, too. Mm -hmm. But people can be a half a block away and all of a sudden they'll cut across the street. Really? So I wonder from a distance if I'm scary.
4: Let's call you imposing. How's that? Yes, not scary. You're just imposing.
3: I always think, wonder why they're cutting across the street. That's a good question. (laughs) Hmm. And one other thing related to this craziness. Yes. Uh, When you're outside, do you wear a mask?
4: uh if i'm around people i will do you yeah if we're you know more than five feet apart or so outside i don't really worry too much about it but yeah i I try to keep one on if i go anywhere
3: so at home not at home yeah yeah i didn't know if you and sue had masks.
4: (laughs) no she wants me to put one on a lot because i look better with them Ah. but other than that no no Ah, great. Well, thanks. You bet.
3: And folks, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for the ups and downs of annuals. Uh, Some of the annuals I've been talking about the last couple weeks, petunias in the neighborhood and things like that, they've finally headed downhill. Uh, Your bulbs, your daffodils and things like that that you planted or, oops, went out to the garage and, what is that in that bag over there? Oops, I didn't get those planted. But what you can do if you have daffodils or tulips or spring-flowering bulbs, you can plant them up in pots and then uh, put them in a sunny window. And then you can bring them inside. Your edibles, your cool season vegetables and things along that line. Your ground covers. Don't let your ground covers get buried underneath a lot of leaf debris because it can be trouble for them. Your houseplants, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path, but strictly offered for you to consider. Chalene is across the board. She's producing, so when you call in, she just needs your first name and where you're calling from. Uh, During the week and sometimes on the weekend, I do a walk and talk, which is a landscape consultation for your home. I'm no longer doing any kind of formal designs. I'm just too old for that. But anyway, enough of that. So if you can go to my website, mikemillerdesigns.com on the homepage, that's where my email address and phone number are listed. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's brought made an impression on me. Tip of the trial goes out to first of all, Lisa. Lisa works in the pharmacy on Gravoy and Holly Hills. She's been a great friend for many, many, many years. And I just want to give her a tip of the trial for everything that she's helped. Tracy and I both with through the years. And also, Tracy's phone has been really acting really strange lately. And it was constantly basically giving a busy tone whenever you picked it up or whenever I tried to call or anything else. So that's our upstairs phone. And thanks to, and a tip of the trial to Tony and Mark. They were from AT&T Phone Repair, and they actually figured out what the problem was and it's, I don't know enough about electronics to figure out what this means. But they had to go not at our home, but they had to go to some kind of big box, you know, away from our home. And they found out that the that phone line had a hard short. And that's why it was constantly busy. So I don't know what a hard short means, but uh, they got it fixed. So after a couple weeks of having nothing but hassles, with that phone having busy signals, and Tracy te- teaches swimming at the Y, so consequently she wants you know the the students or the parents or whatever to be able to call, and they couldn't get a, get a hold of her. So it was her cell phone. She was constantly having to use that, and then having to recharge it. It was just a real hassle. So again, again, Tony and Mark, both from AT and T, the phone repair, they found out that her phone line had a hard short. So whatever that means. So let's get a call in before we go to break. Let's go to Daniel. Daniel, how are you?
6: I'm good. How are you? Very good. Just a
5: quick question. Where do I find butterfly milkweed? Do you get any recommendations?
3: Um there's a place down in I believe it's a uh, Jefferson City or in that kind of area. It's called Missouri Wildflowers, but there's a lot of places, you know, that will carry it just in general. Missouri wildflower. Okay. They will have it for sure.
6: Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Sure. Bye.
3: And why don't we just go ahead and take a break. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We do have some phone lines open if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. And though it is, let's say, early January. It won't be long before the dandelions start showing up. And they're going to be popping up all over the place, in your lawns, your gardens, along the roads, and everything else. And some ways dandelions uh, can really cause you know some real headaches and heartaches and everything else. But some people like to collect the greens and uh, use them for in salads. And there's actually you can make uh, from dandelion wine from the a batch of flowers other things too tracy doesn't like the fact that some you know i dig up the dandelions lines and get rid of them cuz she likes the flowers and there's no getting around it they're tenacious and they're very interesting they are a short day plant requiring you know 12 hours of or more or less of light for them to form you know flower buds on that basal rosette of they're just Really wild and crazy for the most part. And so, well, why don't we get back to the phones. Let's go jump to Illinois and go over to Gary's yard. Hi, Gary.
8: Hey, I have a question about a vegetable garden. I have a large vegetable garden every year, and I plant lots of green beans. My wife will can from 50 to 100 quarts of green beans every year. Ooh. My question is, without putting a fence around it, I've been having trouble the last couple of years with rabbits, eating on my green, eating on my uh green bean vines what is there to do to, with that
3: there's not too much other than a physical barrier you know that's the okay. unfortunate thing so there's yeah. not you know okay. there there are pellets you know you might try some you know some dog urine pellets or something along that line to see if that helps but my guess is probably with the rains and everything else we have there's not too much other than a physical barrier you're going to be able to do okay i
8: may have to go with that route you just mess it up getting my tiller in and out of there.
3: Since, uh... <laughs> you aren't kidding.
8: <laughs> anyway, I, I've heard mothballs. I don't work.
3: Yeah, well, you could try it. It's just that, you know, I mean, my concern is they're on top of something and they're going to melt down into the ground and is that going to impact your, you know, your soil, you know.
8: What about what about hot hot pepper? I've heard uh, canine pepper or something sometimes. I went on the Internet and they said that helps. I don't know.
3: Well, again, it's just, you know, you're going to have to, re, you know, try something like that. Just try it and see what happens. But you're going to have to replenish it every time we have any kind of hard rain or, you understand know, every it. Time. I
8: understand it. Okay. okay. Well, thanks for your help.
3: Sure. Yeah, I'm sorry I wasn't much help. But, uh, okay. I mean, physical barrier with rabbits, that's about the only thing that's going to actually work for you. Let's go now to Kathy, and she lives in Winsville. Hi, Kathy.
9: Hey, good morning. Hi. Um, I have a question. I This is my first year in trying bulbs, and like this time of year, like in the house. So I got this paper white plant, and they bloomed, and so now the flowers are gone. So the greenery is still there, so do I just let them die down? And also I have an amaryllis that isn't blooming. I just want to know what to do with the bulbs after they've um, the plant has gone, you know.
3: Right, after it finishes flowering.
9: flowering. Right, after it finishes like I said, the paper whites are already finished.
3: Right. Paper white narcissus they're a one-shot deal. Right, yeah. So, in other words, they flower, and they may have some foliage, but you can try to grow them, but they're never going to do anything else for you.
9: Okay. Are they not going to go back next year? No. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so it's okay. like,
3: like I said, it's a one-shot deal. And well, so th- okay. they're nothing like an amaryllis or other things bulbs that you can grow inside. Now inside, what you want to do with your amaryllis is let the foliage, the leaves grow, and for multiple months. And then you're going to cut off the leaves, then let them set them off to the side and just leave them alone for probably a couple months, and just kind of watch them. And then you're going to start to see a flower stalk shooting up from the center of it.
9: So you just leave it in the the pot like it is now.
3: In the pot like it is now. You cut the foliage off. Now, people like to have them blooming, you know, during the holiday season. So what they do is you grow the leaves all the way. Once it finishes flowering, then it's going to start growing leaves. You cut the flower stalk off. Then the leaves will grow. Let the leaves grow all the way up until, let's say, September or so. Then cut them off. Leave a stub about, oh, you know, a half inch to an inch. Then just set that pot off to the side someplace. You don't need to water it. Need, you don't need to do really anything, um, basically. And then what you do is you just bring it back out. You start watering again. Put it in a sunny window. And in, within a couple weeks, it should shoot, start shooting up a flower stalk in the center.
9: Oh, okay. So basically, I, it's going to have leaves on it the rest of the time that I'm going to have this.
3: Right. And, and so I, just keep
9: it, it, I just keep it kind of watered, and then, like, come September, put it away?
3: Yeah, cut the foliage off first.
9: First, yeah, cut the foliage off. Yeah. Uh, like the stalk. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then I'm just going to have, like, a leaf thing. And then, uh, okay, so you, where, do you just, where do you keep that?
3: You can just like put there. it in there. You know, I mean, any place that's kind of out of the way so it doesn't cause you problems. Okay. So you don't have to store it in the garage. You don't have to store it in a closet or, or any of these other no, crazy no. things. But, I mean,
9: you you do water it, so the the leaf, the, the greenery, right? After you cut the stalk off, you have the greenery and it's blooming. Yes, it's, it's,
3: all the way. You just start All the tra- way
9: until September.
3: Yeah, you just create, you just kind of create a circumstance where you're making it, you know, kind of be a house plant is what okay, it's going to be. Okay,
9: okay, okay. And then basically September is when I. Um, Put it, um, no, I got, okay, I'm you bringing cut, it back. I yeah, cut, it.
3: cut the leaves off in September and then oh, let it okay. sit for a couple months. And okay. then, you know, just kind of watch it in general. And then probably sometime in, oh, early November or something like that, just bring it out and start watering and you're going to start to see the flower stalk coming up. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Okay, gotcha. Thank you for your help. Sure. I mean they're, they're real easy to carry you know, they're okay.
9: e- well I've never had one and and I got one and my daughter had it in water and it the <laughs> the water thing was okay but it's kinda got smelly. You
3: know? Right. It's <laughs> rot. I think yeah. they call it rot. <laughs> Yeah, right. I don't <laughs> so know why I she just, had it in water.
9: <laughs> well, it was just something that you bought. Bought and It had the rocks, you know, kind of that's how they sold it oh. to her. Yeah, fancy. And so um, I decided I was just going to plant it, you know. Right. Which which I did. <laughs> and so uh, it's in the soil now, uh, potting mix. And so that's what I've got it in right now.
3: Okay. Yeah. And the bulb uh, still it, felt firm. It didn't feel mushy.
9: Oh, no, no. I've got it out before the. But it's, it's growing. But the thing of it is, it's, um, you know, it's not blooming yet. It, it, I'm still waiting. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, so, thank you for your help.
3: Sure. My pleasure. Uh-huh. Yeah, bye Sorry, You're going to have to wait multiple months before you get flowers, except sometimes you can get them out of sequence and they will bloom. You know, let's say everybody always wants them to be blooming around the holiday season. But, you know, depending upon when you cut off the foliage and everything else, once the foliage is fully sized, uh, that's going to determine when it actually does the flowering. So let's head over to Susan Gerard. Hi, Susan.
8: Hi, um, Mike. I'm calling regarding um, a cactus plant, that I, a Christmas cactus that I've had for quite a while. And I've noticed that there's a crust on the uh, top layer of the dirt that it's in. And I was wondering if that's like a mold or something that I need to repot this or just ignore it?
3: Uh, basically, does it look like it's kind of whitish? Yes. Basically, what it is, that means that your, your water, your tap water or whatever you're watering your plant with has, you know, alkalinity. You know, so, in other uh. words, saltiness in it. So even though you can't taste it or anything else, what that does is it's collecting on the surface of the potting mix. So what you can do is just, you know, stir it every so often just to kind of get rid of it. And then when you, you know, when you fertilize, make sure you're using a cactus food. But that's pretty much it. So it's, in other words, it's related to the tap water that you're using to water the plant.
8: Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much.
3: Sure. So if you don't want to have full with it at all, then you can start using distilled water. But, uh, you know, it's not going to make it. Growth-wise and everything else, if you're happy with it, I would say just kind of stir the, get rid of the white stuff aesthetically more so than anything else.
8: Okay, thank you. Sure, thank my you pleasure. very much.
3: Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. And uh, anybody else, questions, concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Brian Kelly and I talk many times about the birds that he has and he feeds and everything else. I'll tell you. Inviting the birds in with seed or whatever it happens to be, um, which would be this time of year, you're going to be using seed, depending upon the type of bird that you're trying to attract, whether it's thistle seed, whether it's sunflowers or anything else. You know, birds really help with insect control. It's kind of amazing. We have a mugo pine right outside of our uh, kitchen window, basically. And it's incredible the amount of birds They come flying in there, and everything from finches to wrens to chickadees, they go bouncing around and through the mugo pine, and they're always finding something to eat. So I'm sure that it's, you know, on the warmer days, they're finding the adults, which have emerged, uh, basically insects, and they're eating them. So that is, I mean, it's really kind of neat to see that they're actually doing this. And this mugle pine had pine sawflies for several, you know, for two years. And what happened is slowly but surely they have been eliminated. Now, I did squash a bunch of them with my hands and things along that line. And then also in the trees, the uh, sugar maples that we have around our yard, there was, you know, let's say some webworms. And the webworms, the birds started getting attracted to, and now – the This is the second year in a row where there hasn't been any webworms. And this was really tight webs around the end of the branches that kept those leaves from falling off. And birds, you know, it's just amazing. So be friendly to the birds. They're going to really help. Uh, Let's see. Let's get a call in. Let's go to Mark Shard. Hi, Mark. Hello. How are you? Very good.
8: Hey, um, I've got about... A quarter acre of that I'm putting um, pollinator mix on, wildflower mix. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if it would be a good time to throw those seeds out now and let the snow beat them in.
3: Uh, I would say, Is it have you tur- turned the soil over or anything?
8: I've put Roundup on it. It's all brown. I haven't uh, tilled it at all yet.
3: Yeah, I would say no. I wouldn't put it out right now because... You know, we never know what is it well let me ask you this too. Is it a flat area? Pretty much. Okay. Because you know, with our the way we could have some really severe rains, it could wash all the seed in one direction or the other. Even in a flat area, it could move them away. So I would wait until things get a little bit warmer because ground temperature, soil temperature is what germinate or generates seed germination. So I would just, you know, I'd just be kind of be patient. Get the soil as much ready as you possibly can, then put the seed out. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And, Take care. Uh, yes, you too. Thanks for having me on your show. Let's go over to David's yard. David, how are you? Mike, good
5: morning. Good morning. I've got a suggestion for the gentleman trying to keep rabbits out of his garden. I didn't catch if whether you suggested this or not. <clears throat> But human hair, ah. if he cuts his own hair or if he's got a friendly barber, um, I cut my own hair and I collect my hair, sweep it up, collect it in a coffee can. And if you just top dress your garden with human hair, I don't know if it makes a mitch and irritates them or if they don't <laughs> like the smell or what it might be. But um, uh, I do it in my vegetable garden. It works like a charm. Uh, I have no barriers, and I have no rabbits disturbing my uh, tomatoes or my leafy vegetables. Uh, it's always worked for me. Well, great. I've got, one, I've got one question for you. Sure. I've got vinca minor under a 60-foot tall, 70-foot tall Norway spruce, and it's a great ground cover. I get the uh, periwinkle flowers. Um, but I've started getting a very tall, woody ground cover that looks like the vinca minor but the leaves are a little bigger i'm wondering if i got something else mixed in with a tray of uh... vinca minor or do they just have a habit of doing that
3: no they really they stay fairly flat so you might have something you might have some euonymus because it sounds like what you know there's a ground cover you know type of euonymus and it has a tendency to elongate and stand up until it gets long enough like 12 to 14 inches then it'll lay down but uh that's my guess is what you have it was a mixture in with the vinca minor that you have or had so just take a look at it look look at the uh, euonymus winter creeper online and just see if you know check the foliage out on the plant that you're talking about standing up and see if that's what it is. If it is, it is pretty invasive and aggressive. Then what you can do is, if you're not opposed to using Roundup, just go out there with Roundup when the weather warms up a little bit, and just paint the Roundup right onto the leaves of the things that are standing up. So that's you know that would be my guess of what's happening. Mike Miller, K. MOS Garden Hotline 314-436-7900 or one eight hundred. 925 1120. Got some phone lines open and we'll be back after these messages. Nothing rocks like it. the KM West Garden Hotline 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. If you have any questions, we've got some phone lines open. Let's head over to Oakville and go into Chuck's yard. Hi, Chuck. You, sir, uh,
8: one quick question. Uh, I've got several milkweed. Uh, Plants from last year, the stocks are still just, you know, they look dead, but uh, should I cut those back or just let them stay like that?
3: I would probably just leave them. I mean, unless there's really bothering you from an aesthetic standpoint, it just depends upon, you know, the circumstance and everything else. Sometimes, you know, depending upon how mature and how well established the plan is, the stocks may not come back. But they'll just the new growth will come back from the root system. But I would just leave them and see what happens in this, you know, in the springtime. Great, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go from Chuck's yard over to Lenny's. Hi, Lenny. How
7: are you doing, Mike? Very good. Um, I got a question. Uh, I got some honey locust, and it was the mother plant or mother tree when I first moved in. And you know, I've over sixteen years. It's created nice little forest for me Mm
4: -hmm.
7: (laughs) uh but now it's starting to get into my landscaping is there a way to stop them now from because i I was thinking if i put like a systematic killer on them it might make its way back to the other trees or do i just have to pull them as they come up
3: yeah i would probably just you know dig them up as they come up generally you know it depends upon what variety this is some of them are, you know, colonizers. So, in other words, they can send out root systems, and new growth can come off the root systems. That's generally not the case. Is this one that has a yellow leaf to it? Uh,
7: are they no, green? It's, it's, yes. They're green. Yeah. But no, it's it's definitely a colonizer because right? okay. I got about twenty of them out there now.
3: So. Yeah, I would probably just go out and dig them. You know, just okay. You know, just push this. You know, get a spade. Don't use a shovel. In other words, something with a square bottom. And just go down right on the side of it and just pop them up out of the ground.
7: Okay, and then another question is: I had a living wall uh, screen, so I didn't have to see my neighbors. Of they were the eastern red cedars, the <laughs> virginica type, right? And they were they were just infested with the uh, bagworms. With bagworms. So I cut them down, but I got some chinins, some eastern red uh, chinenses that aren't too far from them, and they've never had a bagworm one. Um, my arborvitaes get bagworms. Everything gets bagworms except for these chinensis. Is there something about those that that uh, keeps the bagworms away?
3: No, not really. So you just they huh. you just kind of been lucky because now huh. the juniperus chinensis they don't get the cedar apple rust, which the juniperus virginiana, that's a native cousin, they do. But uh, as far as bagworms, no, there's nothing. That the Chinese variety is going to have that's going to prevent any bagworms. So I guess they just weren't huh. in contact, and you know you have just been kind of lucky.
7: Huh. Cool. All right. Well, then maybe I'll. Well, then I don't know because I was going to plant another wall of of those if I could find them. They're, they're they're tougher to find in the in the nurseries. Right. Um. So well, I don't know if they can get them too. Then I I don't know. Maybe I'll. Build a fence or something. So, <laughs> um, and can I give a quick shout? Can I give a quick shout out to two of the guys that work at St. Louis Compost? Sure. To Basil and Scotty, they work at the Bubble one. They're a loader and a driver, and they've done great work for me. So,
3: well, great, nice to hear.
7: All right, thanks. Bye. Sure,
3: my pleasure. And now let's see, where should we go? Hmm, let's go over to Henry's yard. Hi, Henry
6: hi mike hi. this is henry um so i've got a question i just recently purchased a house in south city and the whole yard is a mixture of zoysia and fescue however it's it's most zoysia uh, i would like to tran or er, transfer it to just fescue should I sod cut everything out and plant fescue?
3: You could do that, or you could just try to, you know, when the zoysia starts greening up, you could try to kill it off with, a, with an herbicide if you want to, either grass killer or roundup or something like that. But ideally, what you want to do is you'd cut the sod off, you want to improve the soil, add an inch or two of compost, in other words, blend it into the existing soil before you lay new sod down. Because if you're going to try to grow but, fescue or anything from seed, it's going to be a long, involved process. Versus if you just bought some fescue sod, so it's—I mean—the choice is yours. Right. There's no getting around it.
6: But the the stolons and rhizomes from the zoysia aren't going to come back.
3: Uh, they shouldn't. I mean, if you if you're cutting it with a sod cutter, it should—you know—for the most part, there may be some that comes back. But uh, for the most part, it should you know it should take care of it.
6: So just going down uh, like about three inches, yeah, should do it.
3: Yeah, not even three inches. Probably two inches should be adequate. But if you if you're a little bit concerned, then just wait until it starts greening up and go after it with an herbicide.
6: Okay, perfect. Thank you very much.
3: Sure. yeah, and the herbicide should be systemic, so in other words, it goes from the leaves, not just kills the leaves. It goes down and kills the crown and the root system as well. Let's go now over to Doris's yard. Hi, Doris.
10: Hi. Good morning. Uh, yesterday in the mail we received the Arbor Day um, root, root on you know bare rooted plants, mm-hmm. and they're talking about you know you should plant them in the fall and uh, do not uh, preferably do not put them in pots. And at this time of the year, I'm, I'm like, what do I do with these
3: things? <laughs> well, personally, what I would do is, because they're bare root, I would, you know, for, probably for uh, uh, several days, I'd get them out of the whatever they're in and put them okay. in, like, uh, water. So okay. There's a bucket of water. Then I, okay. would get, I would plant them in pots, whether these people are saying don't do that or not.
10: Okay. Well, that's kind of... The way I was thinking, because I'm like, uh, you know, the the ground is cold, but a pot at least would have some safe, some uh, uh, warmth to it or or whatever. And what you're
3: going to do is take that pot and you're going to go, you could take the pot and go outside if you've got a garden space and just dig a (laughs) hole and just drop the pot down in the hole for the, you know, for the wintertime.
10: Okay, okay. And you think it's fine if we've got a, a pretty good-sized pot to just put them all? There's 10 of them. Uh, I think it's it's eight trees and two, I think it's hydrangea bushes. So just put them all in the same pot.
3: Yeah, I don't see okay. any problem with doing that at all. And then when okay. you, you know, I mean, you could leave them in the pot for a year or so, see if, you know, oh. if they're going to go oh. okay. And then next, okay. you know, the next year, next fall, a year from this fall, then uh-huh. go ahead and pull them up, take them out of the pot, you know, kind of shake them all apart, and then plant them in the fall versus the spring.
10: Okay, okay, all right. Well, thank you very much for the info. Have a great
3: day. Sure, my pleasure. Now let's go to Oakville, second or third call from Oakville today, and into Linda's yard. Hi, Linda.
11: Hi, Mike. Um, I have a question about a couple of tropical, beautiful tropical plants that I got this past summer. One of them. Uh, neither one of them had an information, you know, stick in there showing what they were. or I have no idea what type of plant they are, but I know they're tropicals. Hit had them out on my screen porch in the shade all summer, and they did really well. Now I have them under a grow light down my basement. It's really the only place that I have big enough to put them because, I mean, they're pretty good-sized plants. So first, I'd like to ask, on the grow light instructions, it said... I have it on 18 hours and off 6. So I have it on a timer. Would you recommend that or should it be
3: on longer? No, not longer. I, mean, I, in- I would say 12 hours should be adequate. Oh, 12
11: on and 12 off?
3: Right. I don't okay. say. I grow things in my basement under grow lights, and that's why I have it, the grow lights come on at 5 in the morning and it goes off at 5 at night. Okay, now, I don't so know at if. Night- they, now it, They'd just be in the dark then at night? Yeah, exactly. So there's no place that these plants, whatever they happen to be, would be in a situation where they're going to get 18 hours of sunlight. There's no place in the world that has that much.
11: Oh, okay. Well, that's what the instructions I know, said. And I, I, I haven't done any grow lights for a long time, so I didn't really know. And the other thing is, do you think I should repot them when I put them back out on the screen porch in the spring or just add some fresh potting soil. I know I had called you before about my tropical hibiscus tree and it's still perking along. It's really old. And you recommended taking it out of the pot and getting rid of some of the soil and putting new soil, you know, and just kind of gently getting some off the roots. So should I do that with these tropical plants?
3: These are relatively new plants. So I would say just leave them alone. Until you start to see some root systems coming out of the bottom drainage holes, that's when I would think about uh, putting them into a new pot.
11: Okay, but should I add like some new potting soil, maybe a little bit on top or something?
3: No, there's no reason to do that. If you're fertilizing and everything else, that's strictly, you know, it won't won't help the plants at all because you're not going to be able to mix it with the existing potting mix in. So I would say don't bother doing that. And what I'm saying is even if these are large pots, that you don't want to get a bigger pot then like I said before, you just pull it out of the existing pot, shake some of the existing potting mix off, then put it back in the same pot, and then put some new potting mix in with it.
11: Okay. And when I should start feeding them, like, when I put them out there for the spring?
3: Yeah, sometime. So uh, yeah, there's no reason. You're not going to put them out probably before mid-April. And so right. basically after that, just once a month. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, and when they're inside under grow lights, uh, fertilizing, I would kind of stay away from that. So mid-April all the way up until you bring them inside, mid to late September, and no fertilizer after that. Mike Miller, KMRS Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, back to the phone. Ha, ha, ha. I'm supposed to let the music Back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Ann's yard. Hi, Ann. This is Ann. Yeah. Yes, go I ahead. I am
1: calling to ask a question about bird seed. You mentioned a while ago about bird seed that might eliminate bugs. I was wondering if you had a recommendation for ticks. And then I had a question about magnolia trees planting in St. Louis City, like curbside.
3: Uh, Basically, there's all kinds of magnolia, so it depends upon what magnolia you're speaking of. Uh, In the city, just realize that if you put a tree, you know, along the street, in between the sidewalk and street, the street sweepers, they go up and down once a month, and they could, you know, do some breaks and limbs and things along that line. So just be conscious of whatever one you do plant that you think about where the branches are and everything else. And as far as as a bird seed attracting the birds, so they go after the insects, I don't know of one necessarily that's going to go after ticks. You know, I don't know what kind of bird would, you know, ticks are kind of, I don't want to say they're invisible, but uh, they're not something that, uh, you know, maybe there are some kinds of birds, and I guess if they would come across one, they would eat it. But I don't know of what to recommend as far as what type of bird to bring in to try to get rid of ticks. Do you, have, you live in the city and you have a tick problem?
1: Um, no, it, I don't personally, but someone I know does. And de- developed a food allergy from tick bites. Whoa. From hiking in St. Louis.
3: Wow. I would say probably uh, go to the University of Missouri Extension Service and see what they might recommend. Or try Missouri Botanical Garden, so mobot.org and see what the uh, Botanical Garden might recommend.
8: Okay, thank you.
3: Certainly, my pleasure. Yeah, ticks, whoa, food allergy. Never know. Kyle, how are you today?
8: Hi Mike, I'm fine, thank you.
5: Uh, So I've heard you say in the past uh, that you shouldn't stop watering your garden or your plants during the winter. So I'm just wondering how that kind of looks when it's really cold out. How often do you need to do that? And is it just
2: bringing out whenever you have
5: a, a day or two of nice weather? And
3: well, like, to, you know, just you can we'll get a rain gauge or just realize how much rain that you've had. Basically, during the wintertime, your landscape needs about an inch of water every 10 to 14 days. So once every two weeks or so. And... Uh, that's the only time I'd be worried with you know worried about as far as then you have to go into your basement turn your water back on maybe and then do the watering so just be conscious of that and then okay that's you know and just watch out as far as with the freezing temperatures when you water you know it's going to run off your sidewalks and you know hardscape surfaces but just stay off the areas that you watered in your landscape if they're wet during the wintertime, because you can do some damage to it by walking right. on it.
5: Okay, oh, can I ask you one other question? Sure. I've got, uh, so we p- planted a new uh, landscape garden and, uh, this past summer, and two, two plants in particular are crepe myrtles and uh, hydrangeas. When should I, I just, per your advice, I didn't do anything with them this, this uh, fall. They're just sitting there all brown and nasty looking. When should I start uh, fertilizing
3: those? Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about fertilizing them. So I would say, you know, with a crepe myrtle or either any of them, I would wait until the new growth starts emerging from the stems and then wait for a couple weeks after that. And then both of them, you know, they're not necessarily going to want to have, depending upon the type of hydrangea and everything else, the exact same fertilizer. So initially I would say you know just kind of get a general fertilizer maybe a liquid and do that and then as they start getting some growth and maturity then maybe get some specific type fertilizer okay thank you sure my pleasure now let's go over to marjorie hi marjorie how are you
1: hi mike i'm fine I have a problem with a mockingbird and I want to know what I can do about it because it's become a sentry and it guards my bird feeder constantly. <laughs> it will not let any bird eat from it. And I am not kidding. I, I got so disgusted. After watching this for a couple of weeks, I dumped the seed on the ground and uh, to tried to discourage it, but it still hangs around. And I really want to know what can I do? And this guy is relentless. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and I have all this seed, Audubon seed, and uh, other uh, fruit and nut seed and stuff, and I want the birds to enjoy it because I love the birds. Right. Can I do, what can I do about this guy?
3: Uh, to be honest <laughs> with you, I don't know, other than, like, having a BB gun, and I don't think you want to necessarily <laughs> but kill that
1: would it. kill it. I'm sure that I'm a pretty good
3: shot. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, some of them do get very aggressive when it comes to a circumstance like you're describing. And, and it's
1: re- you know, yeah, and it and it takes its post in a nearby tree. I mean, it would be a good shot probably, but you know, I won't do that. Right. And uh, I just don't know. And even even blue jays, blue jays come and and it chases a blue jay. Whoa! And it, it, all, all the beautiful birds that I have fed in the past. It just I don't know. It sees it seems like it owns this feeder, <laughs> and I, I I just don't know what to do about it.
3: Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> I you know I really don't know either. You might you know check the Audubon Society and see you know their website and see if they have a recommendation. but a situation like that you almost have to wait till the thing gets old and dies because I mean you you can run out there and chase it away but like you say, it just goes back up into the one tree and stays in the same place.
1: Yeah, it does. And it knows exactly, you know, I just and, and it just will not even let a bird get a seed. And, <laughs> and I have, you know, I, I really have beautiful birds that I just want to to, uh, you know, bring through the winter and right. see them. Appreciate well, thanks,
3: Marjorie. We're going to have to take off. But good luck. Mike Miller, K Wash Garden Hotline.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?